This is Kate Beckinsale. You're listening to Beckinsale. Gentlemen, are you ready to begin your quest? It's going to be long and difficult. <laughs> I am a magical sorcerer. Okay. And I'm sending you to determine which movie is better. Okay. Labyrinth? Ooh. Or never-ending story. Ooh. Oh, thank you, Christopher Lambert. Uh, question. Make your decision. Question, uh, magical wizard creature. Yes. What's your name? Henry. <laughs> <laughs> we should definitely do improv night. <laughs> I love this. Welcome to Bakersfield, everyone. I'm Joel. Can I call you Hank? My name's Kent. And Henry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for listening to our 90s alternative one-hit wonder bracket that we Brackets, did. Uh, Brackets. The part two that we did last time. One of my favorite reactions we got from people was, I hated most of the decisions you made, but you landed in a pretty good place. I'm okay with the win. I was actually pretty surprised by all the approval that we got. Well, do you know yeah. what it is? is, is I backlash. think people want to care, and then they think twice about the songs, and they say, yeah, I don't really care that much. <laughs> I feel like we went through that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. Well, I feel like if we would have just handed it to the cold hard facts winner, or the one that everyone says, it wouldn't have been as fulfilling. Yeah. Like, well, we oh, kind of yeah. went somewhere down in the middle, which is also where some of the complaints came to, is it was like, we weren't strictly personal preference. We were kind of, and we weren't strictly billboard either. But I mean, the, the way we Just, do bacon sell, you have to realize we yeah. are not a scientific show. This is not what? radio lab or anything. Know, this is an opinion show. And we, had it, we wanted to have it be like a conversation you've had with your buddies where you sit around and talk about, okay, this song and this song, which one's better? And you just argue it out. And yeah, some yeah. people are going to pull out facts. Some people are going to pull out opinions. But in the end, it's a conversation. Well, I mean, and honestly, like... And it ends in a wrestling match. And it should. Like every episode of Bacon Sale. A literal one. We're going to um, have ours after, right, guys? steamrolls us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, but it would be very different. I you think didn't have to be wear really a unitard during the recording, Jacob, though. It's for after. So comfortable. <laughs> so no, like personal preference, I think it would look a lot different. And it would be a lot yeah. of fun to see that as well. But anyway... Yeah. Too bad. The winners have been decided. They yes. Have. Also, exciting news, in case you didn't make it all the way to the end of the last show, uh, we have a store. We have a store. We do. And not just any store, a new store. A new where store. Where we, uh, we sell amazing merchandise, like mugs and stickers and phone cases and shirts and pillows. Uh, tapestries, I think, was on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you said phone cases? And yes, I did. Bumper stickers? Yeah. But yeah. if you go to tpublic.com slash bacon sell, it's T-E-E public.com slash bacon sell, you can see all our merch. And they're actually, yeah. they, were, they, were, they do sales quite often, I found. Like, there was a Black Friday sale that happened. There was a Cyber Monday sale. I went on today and there was a 25% off sale. So go check it out. They're really good about that, honestly. And, and yeah. it's not just like t-shirts, like your standard t-shirts that you order. And you're like, yeah, this is doesn't yeah, feel very good. they have like some cool different they ones. They have yeah. soft t-shirts. And like, and like baseball shirts. Yeah, so if, like you wanna get, if you want to get hashtag can't cares on a soft t-shirt. Or hashtag no, family friendly. Nobody wants that. Hey. What? <laughs> I, own, cares. I own one, okay? Aw. Yeah. Team can't? <laughs> yeah, team. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, that, oh. I, have my, I have my fingers crossed. That's great going into a versus show with Team Kent over here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jake. Am I, I going to decide I mean, at the end who wins? Thanks, no. Thanks, Henry. This is going to be one of our, our traditional versus shows. We haven't done since uh, episode 87. Dar- or, yeah, I was, guess, yeah, that was the Die Hard versus uh, Lethal Weapon. Was that long ago? Yeah. That was probably the last true Is it because we, we brought in guests? We brought in guests. The, 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 th- the, the three way uh, versus is, is a little more interwoven okay where it's just you and i battling it out i miss it that only really happens when kent and i have a conversation and we realize that we have a, a disagreement point that we didn't know the other person had so we're talking about like obviously you think this way and kent goes no i don't think that way what 
versus. Yeah, and so we decide to yep. bore everyone with our little fights. But we always try to keep it at least Welcome things to Bacon Cell. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Our <laughs> boring, boring. <laughs> Cell, we'll bore you with our little fights. We, we, we will go so far over the top with information about never-ending story <laughs> and, and labyrinth. labyrinth. <laughs> like more facts than you ever even knew existed about these two movies will be brought yes. up in this show in the coming hour. But when you talk to, to children of the 80s, for example, about the shows that scarred them slash entertained them the most, Labyrinth and Neverending Story are two, two of the ones that pop up most of the time. Yeah. And there are other ones that we could have included. Dark like, Crystal. Like the Lesser Dark Crystal. Or legend. The lesser Legend or the Lesser Willow. And if we do any of that, then, you know, we do that down the road maybe. But we felt like Labyrinth and Neverending Story were, were more comparable. It was about a kid being brought into a magical world. A, hum- mm-hmm. a human kid being brought into a magical world and having adventures there, yeah, exactly. they're in. Yeah. So, but then we found out that uh, Kent was wrong and liked Never Ending Story more. We'll see. And I, I liked, I was right and liked Labyrinth more. Huh. It's funny that you say Willow's lesser because yes. Willow's probably a lot better. No. than Labyrinth. And no. by that I mean it is. It's not. I just watched you all these fairly recently. My wife, no. my wife is in camp. My, my wife is in Camp Willow, and she showed it to our kids recently. And I had child services on the phone, just ready to call. Oh, I'm sorry. You're okay. Look, this argument's going to come up later. <laughs> Child services should only be there when you're watching Labyrinth. No, it's a fun children, a children friendly movie. All right, all right, all right. You're let's, getting into it a little too fast. We have proceed. some categories, some let's, general guidelines of discussion. That let's I'm give go some through. brief facts and stats. Kent, uh, I'll start with Labyrinth. It is alphabetical order, and it's a better movie. You're it so came cute. Out, thank you. <laughs> uh, Labyrinth came it's, out. It's the bow. June 27th, 1986, directed by Jim Henson, who also directed The Great Muppet Caper and The Dark Crystal. Those are his only features were those three. It's a British-American adventure musical dark fantasy film, executive produced by George Lucas, and here's the synopsis. A 16-year-old girl is given 13 hours to solve a labyrinth and rescue her baby brother uh, when her wish for him to be taken away is granted by the Goblin King, starring Jennifer Connelly. Curse you, Goblin King! Yes. Gosh. The Nevering Story was released in 1984, was directed by Wolfgang Peterson, uh, stars Noah Hathaway, Bear Oliver, and Tammy Stornuck. The actors are pretty forgettable already. Go on. Oh, please. I've got Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie. Okay, this is in the bag for me in regard to powerhouse actors. Powerhouse actors at this point. Yes. It's kind of relative. (laughs) Okay. It's really relative. Oh, you want to get to acting already? Let's not do this yet. No. Okay, can I talk about my movie? And facts. Yeah. This is why I love verses. (laughs) (laughs) Joel loves pushing my buttons. Yes. Just by saying, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. But anyways, never ending story. I'm right. Great movie. <laughs> and soundtrack done by Limal. By who? Limal. Limhal. Same thing. The lead singer of Kajagugu. Lim Limal. Kajagugu. Yeah. Kajagugu? Yeah. Where was he on our bracket? The, <laughs> that's the 80s. The story, if we're going to just keep it really simple, is a troubled boy dives into a wondrous fantasy world through the pages of a mysterious book. Bum, bum, bum. All right. So there are some cold, hard facts for you. We decided to give that. In case you didn't know what these movies were and what they're about, this is kind of giving the flavor. If of people each one of them. don't know either of these movies, don't listen to our show anymore. I think they should be, anymore. Anymore, yeah. like ever again. Like yeah, I feel like, yeah, that's a. That's I feel like it's a prerequisite. No, to know these movies in order to enjoy us a lot on of the people, show. or is it just a sign of elevated taste? Who knows? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think it could be. It's no, growing up are, in the right era, or at least visiting that era. Well, and I think it's a, that. If, if you haven't seen those movies, this is very much nostalgic for people who did see them. You need to say this is an invitation, not but get out I of here. I think Kent and I would both agree that if you watch these as an adult, it's not going to have the same magic as if you grew up on them. Very true. 
Would you agree with that, Kent? Nope. He doesn't agree with anything. <laughs> and every time I'll I, agree with I that, notice, I'll agree with that because the, you, ones I've, the ones I've watched oh, as an adult, I'm like, hashtag how the crap You're talking to like the 80s Grinch over here, Mr. Lord Henry. Remember when he wanted to take us on the Grinch against Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Yeah, I will win that. <laughs> and I said it was like a still. toddler entering a boxing ring. <laughs> oh, man. Good Sorry, times. Jake. Yeah. I had your back on that one. I'm yeah. Mike Tyson on that one. No, and also I realized, I went back and listened to some of our Versus show, which if you go to bankandsell.com, there's tags on every episode. You could click on Versus and see all our Versus shows in the tags. And one of the things I noticed, almost every one of these shows, I'm like, Kent, I think you and I can both agree that we both like these shows. And you're like, nope. Okay. No, no, I, I know where you're going with this. In fact, I had a blast watching both of these movies, and that's why I say that. You did watch them recently? Yeah, the, over this weekend. Me too. Yeah, and I was actually watching them, and I'm like, yeah, they belong where they were. Did you watch them with your kids? No. Okay. He didn't want to I wouldn't him. let my kids watch one of them. I, I was able to rent out a theater so I could fit all my kids <laughs> in one, one room. You know which one. <laughs> I rented out a theater so I could fit all my kids in one room. <laughs> yeah. And I watched this together with them just so I could gauge their interest from a kid were level. They, hold on. Versus my were level. they all asleep by the end? Uh, only one of them ended up not making. No, two of made it, the two youngest didn't make it to the end of either one of these. Oh, really? 90 no, no, percent of them. Made no, it. they made it through Labyrinth. They didn't make it through Never, Never Ending Story. OK, but it was late. So. Kids, it's one thirty. Anyway, you have so, to watch these movies. All right, Jacob. Uh, Jacob's going to guide us whenever Kent and I get off in the weeds by bringing us back to some sort of discussion point. Look, I, I like I the weeds. I want to talk since we started with facts. I want to stick there just a little bit longer and talk about box office performance. So tell me about that. So Labyrinth's box office performance. I'm I'm going to be a very upfront about this. It was not successful in theaters. In fact, it bombed in theaters. It had a budget of $25 million, and during the, the run of the box office, it was released in over 1,000 theaters, but the box office was only $12 million, almost $13 million. So it, it didn't make, but it if, almost made half of the budget. If you do adjust that for inflation, that is $27 million. Yeah, which so is good. But still, it didn't make, it didn't it's, make its money back, and that actually really hit Jim Henson pretty hard. Widely considered a flop. Widely considered as a flop at the box office. Right, There's never any but, story. But, oh, is there I, I, a but? I have my butt. But oh, because it found its audience on VHS and DVD and became a cult classic after the fact. Once it left theaters, never made its money back. Never Ending Story made twenty million one hundred fifty-eight thousand uh, adjusted for inflation. Forty-five million dollars came out two years before Labyrinth. That's really not that much different. I mean, 50, it's not twenty million more. Fifteen million more. You, you said remember what time it was? Whoa, this no, wasn't no, the we're time. We're adjusting for inflation here. Like oh, straight I, up numbers. It's twelve versus twenty. Yeah, twelve versus twenty. Yeah. This, and remember, this is the time before This is the time before two hundred million dollar earners at the box office. This was eighty four and eighty six. But yeah. uh, and that's the thing is like I, I know that Labyrinth didn't do well in the theaters, but it found a huge success and it became you, a cultural. You say that like no eighties other eighties fantasy movie did that. They all did that, Joel. Well, they all kind of flopped. All right. Well, aside yeah. aside from money, though, what about critics? Uh, critical reviews. Uh, both of these movies, if I may speak for both of us have a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Like, they both have the exact same rating on IMDb. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. And I went, oh, okay, because I knew if I brought up the Rotten Tomatoes, that can be like, what's that site? What's that site? So on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, Labyrinth has a 68%. It is fresh. Kent? I don't know. On what? Oh, okay. I chose not to look at Never Ending Stories Rotten Tomatoes. Because both of them came out before Rotten Tomatoes was invented, and Kent hates that when they retroactively rate movies. I actually do. I, do. I do have notes on Never Ending Story, if I may. So Never Ending Story has an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. So better, but 
Then also it has. <laughs> I like it's like no cold hard facts. This one no, this, falls. I'm just going. I'm but, just going facts here. So Labyrinth standing by itself was 68. This is. But uh, I'm going to give 82. it a little pass because it gets a participation trophy. But there's also Never Ending Stew, which has an average uh, has 14. So that averages out to about 46. percent And then Never Ending Story Three doesn't even have a score, which would knock it down to 32 percent average. And this the actually works against you though, because the higher the Rotten Tomatoes ranking, the worse the movie sometimes for you. <laughs> That's probably true. Actually, <laughs> like basically Wait. this is Thor Ragnarok. Hey Joel, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, what rating did uh, the sequel to Labyrinth get? There is no sequel to Labyrinth. Oh, interesting. Because it okay. is standalone and didn't need because it didn't make sequels. any money, and so they could never. Oh, Never Ending Story it. two and Never Ending Story three were terrible. Look, two, two was okay. <laughs> Can't, they're currently working on a sequel to Labyrinth, uh, a spinoff, Joel, if Joel, you will. Joel? David Bowie's dead. I'm really sorry to tell you this. So is Falcor. <gasps> you should have actually gone for the other one if you wanted to get yeah, the hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. No, because Barry. Okay, name. so if you want, but, if you want, but Jake, can I? No, I, I just this isn't this isn't a barter. This is just stay on the same. This tangent. isn't a versus, but it was more about the actors that we were just talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. So if you want an interesting look uh, at the actors, because uh, if you look at Jennifer Connelly or David Bowie in you know now pictures versus then pictures, David you know, Bowie's dead. I know. That's, I realized that when <laughs> I said really that. It really doesn't look good now. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> but no, go look up, go like look up uh, Barrett, Oliver. Ebert, Barrett Bad, Oliver. You know? That's him, right? Barrett Oliver. Barrett Oliver. Barrett Oliver. Yes. Go look him up. He looks completely different. Like, yes, he's like, he's got a little paunch and he's bald and he's got a beard and dreadlocks. It's, it's bizarre. He doesn't look anything like himself. And uh, Noah, Hathaway, Noah Hathaway, who played Atreyu. Um, oh yeah. I should mention Barrett Oliver played Bastion. Noah Oliver. Uh, who No, Noah Hathaway. He's actually a tattoo artist now, and he looks pretty... Like a tough guy, like from yeah, Jersey, like basically. Like he, he bulked up, basically. Yeah. Anyway, can't go on with your point. I just wanted to bring it up. Look up, look up uh, Barrett Oliver. So I didn't look at Rotten Tomatoes, but I did look at uh, Siskel and Ebert, their reviews. And so I have some excerpts from... Let's do the first the review of Labyrinth. <laughs> so Ro- <laughs> I had this quote, too, but I wasn't going to read it. <laughs> so Roger Ebert says, This movie is too long. Without a strong plot line to pull us through, all movies like this run the danger of becoming a series of incidents. There's no structure... To the order of adventures. Sarah does this. She does that. She's almost killed here. Almost trapped there until at last nothing much matters. Great energy and creativity went into construction, production, and direction of this movie, but it doesn't have a story that does justice to the production. Two out of four. Siskel was really harsh on both of these movies, honestly. Oh, Did yeah. you have this for both? No, yeah. I, I, I kind of left off the ones that were So he so says... It's been said many times before in this space that the sight of a baby in peril is one of the sleaziest gimmicks a film can employ to gain our attention. But Henson does it, and that's almost unimaginable considering the enormous amount of good he has contributed through Sesame Street. Do you know what else Roger Ebert hated? Usual suspects. Oh, with Kevin Spacey? Yeah. Maybe someone is advising him that you should <laughs> he be more Tommy violent he knew. to grab the movie's audience attention. If so, so he's saying if you want someone to be violent, if so, that someone should be forced to watch Labyrinth 24 hours a day for a month. And it just keeps going. It's like they were, he they makes were not fun of David Bowie. And then yeah. he says, and uh, we all know that Kent agrees with Roger Ebert and Siskel all the time. And then he also says, and here's the thing. It matters little that Henson rips off Lucas's Wookiee because Lucas produced the movie character to help the young girl played by the forgettable Jennifer Connelly to find <gasps> her baby brother. And then his Ooh. last line is what an enormous waste of talent and money is Labyrinth. One star. Isn't that so harsh? It's very harsh. Like I was yeah. like, Siskel, come on. Like this movie. And I, I struggle from this as a critic, too. Like, this movie's not made for you. Mm-hmm. Lighten up a little bit. Well, and I think I, I actually have the note here about how a lot of critics didn't like this movie, but it's because they didn't have the magic in their heart anymore. Well, they've seen the story a few times before. So Ebert, about uh, never-ending story. It's children's fantasy, so they're not exactly going to go for Dostoevsky. So, 
Roger Ebert says, and this is Neverending Story, the idea of a story within a story is one of the nice, nicest touches in Neverending Story. Another, how, many, how many times do you say the word story in that review? I know, right? Well, it has a great story. Another one is the idea of a child's faith being able to change the course of fate. Maybe not since the kids in the audience were asked to save Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. Has the outcome of a story been left so clearly up to a child's willingness to believe? But the Neverending Story is about... And once again, story is about the unfolding of a story. And so the framing device of the kid hidden in the school attic, breathlessly turning the pages is interesting. It lets kids know that the story isn't just somehow happening. That storytelling is a never ending act of imagination. Three out of four. Wow. That is long winded. That's very long winded, but kind of beautiful and it sums is. up a lot. Yeah, and yeah. as much as uh, Siskel and Ebert loved it, guess who hated it? The author of Never Ending Story. He hated. I, I swore you were going to say Roger Ebert's no, corpse. There, no, no, <laughs> um, no. Our, uh, Michael End was the author of Never Ending Story, and he was so unhappy with the film version, he refused to have his name in the opening credits, and then he sued the filmmakers and lost in the end. Wow! He called the film a gigantic melodrama of kitsch, commerce, plush, and plastic. Yeah, and they actually split up that book because it's one and two. Neverending Story one and two are actually just from the same book. Yeah, the movie the movie ends halfway through the book. Like, there's still a whole other part to it. Huh. No, but you're right. I'm actually glad you brought up the author thing because do you know who hated Labyrinth? The original author Maurice Sendak because he sued Labyrinth and told them what? to stop. This happened with both of them. <laughs> no, so yeah, Maurice Ma- Sendak was not the author Maurice, of Labyrinth. The plot of Labyrinth was so close to one in Sendak's outside over there. So remember the guy. So who keep in mind, this is a guy are. who claims they ripped off my story, not the actual author of the movie. Let's see why. The movie is loosely based on Outside Over There, a children's picture book written and illustrated by Sendak. The, stories, the story follows young Ida, who must enter the fantastical world described as Outside Over There to find her baby sister, who's been spirited away by some goblins. Now, see, that seems to be more folklore than actual movie. This movie was created uh, with uh, Brian Froud, who is an English fantasy illustrator, who created these books. And then him and Jim Henson were talking when they were doing The Dark Crystal which is also based on Froud's works. And they said, hey, let's do a movie. So it has nothing to do with your Oh, guy. I'm sorry. Jim, Jim Henson acknowledges his debt to the worth, works of Maurice Sendak in quotes. Well, I mean, he's going to have inspirations, but he didn't rip off the story. It's basically both. Both Kent, were based off let's stories. Let's not speak and they ill of them. Jim Henson, okay? I will on this one. <gasps> yeah. Jim Henson? He dropped the ball on this one. This no, is his final didn't. directed movie. By the way, no. not a great director. Great puppeteer. Great mind. His movies? Not super good. I love the great Muppet caper. Really? Yeah. So that's the only Muppet movie he actually directed? Yeah. I think it's one of the lesser. No, 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 no. Yeah, like, no. You have Muppet Christmas Muppets Carol. Make, the Muppet, Muppet, Muppet Take Manhattan, Manhattan is lesser. Over, Muppet over Treasure Caper? Island is lesser. Yeah, Caper. It goes Muppet movie, Muppet Caper, The Muppets, Muppet Christmas Carol. No way. Dude, he has Christmas Carol way above uh, Muppet no. Caper. But that's not what we're talking about today. <clears throat> but no, I thought it was interesting that like both original authors sued... And I think both eventually stopped, well, right? Well, no, okay. One original author sued. One guy claimed that they ripped off his story and sued. You know what? One one movie actually paid the author to make their movie. The other one stole it from his story Not and didn't close. give credit. Jim Henson and Brian Froud. All right, let's, let's go on. Why don't you guys talk about the better songs and music? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the best part of the whole thing, honestly. <laughs> Um, so I obviously have the upper hand in this, Ken. So why don't you go first? So Joel's song never charted. Magic Dance <laughs> never charted. What do you mean never charted? It the, did in 2016. No, the album. The David Bowie had an entire Labyrinth album, and it it uh, reached number 68 on the Billboard 200. Where did Neverending Stories album go? 
All right, so are we talking like main song or are we talking soundtracks on this one? Well, see, I have main songs. I have multiple songs I could pull from. You have songs. This is general. This is music and songs. This is the score. This is songs. This is the whole shebang. See, I would actually argue, and you're going to try to argue against it, that you have a song and you have a lot of filler songs. No, I have, you have songs. You have magic dance. No, the I other have, songs suck, Joel. I have magic dance, underground, chilly down, as the world falls down. Hold on, hold on. How does magic dance go? How good is this song? Dance, magic dance, magic dance. Dance, magic, dance, magic. That's the best. Song. I always thought it's that's the one of the funner ones. <laughs> that's the only fun song. No, because then you get chill it down with the fogging. Let's go with the fogging. Turn around, look at what you see in her face. In her face, the mirror of your dreams. You just said in your face. What is that? Yes. It's was in it, your face. In your too. face to me. It's in her face. <laughs> in her face. So I would actually say it's song versus song, soundtrack versus soundtrack. As because the world falls down. That's a great song. So the soundtrack for... It's only forever. By the way, that song plays twice at the beginning of the movie. It's not hot. has nothing to do oh, with the whole movie. You mean like a reprise? A reprise right in the opening credits and then playing again? That's at the laziest end. Yeah, thing at ever. the beginning at the end. No, That's be- a bookend. Joel, beginning of the movie, opening credits, and then beginning scene, they play the song again. Right. Do you know why? Because all they had was synthesizer. No one can blame you for walking away. You're singing this like it's a good song. It it's is. It's not. The music, the score <laughs> in Never Ending Story is beautiful. The they, scenes like when they finally see. Could you be Look, it's the more castle. annoying? <laughs> That's it's synthesized awfulness. Here's your synthesizer. That was harsh. It's a bug eternal stench. <laughs> Wait a minute. I am not kidding you. you can't I thought it was Trevor Jones's score. Okay. Oh, I just did. It's hideous. No, it's great. So let, let me to read some Amazon reviews on both of these soundtracks. You realize how he just abandoned his. He was going to talk about the moment when they see the castle, but once he heard my spot on rendition of the score, he backed away because he realized bow, it was bow, dumb. Bow. Oh, no, it's Bob. It's like, bow, 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 oh, wait, bow. is the castle up there? Anyone who's seen the movie knows that you're being ludicrous right now because it's a beautiful Ludicrous score. did not have anything to do with either one of these movies. <laughs> yeah, it was Tupac. Get real. I got nothing stories. Anyway, so the Amazon review by Eric... In 2016. <laughs> Why would you say who it's by? <laughs> Why? Why are you pulling out <laughs> random He says, it's a five-star review. Eric. And he says, oh. uh, he says, I love this soundtrack. One of the best I've ever listened to. Whereas an Thanks, Amazon review Eric. by Sly in 2013 for <laughs> Labyrinth, she says, this was not for me, but a gift. This is funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is not for me, but a gift. Never heard from the granddaughter, so I don't know how she liked it. But guess she did, since she asked specifically for it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no, I think that actually was a five-star review on that one. No, and okay. Uh, full confession, I own Neverending Story. I actually really think it's a good song. Yeah. Um, I love well, good how song, it, good soundtrack. Oh, or do you just own the song? Uh, the song. I own okay. the song. And I love how it fades in and fades out, so there really is no beginning and no end to the song. I yeah, thought that was see? really cool. Thematic. But it's one song. It never ends. Whereas I own say. multiple Joel, songs. Discounting from, I own multiple songs from the Labyrinth soundtrack. Why? I really enjoy you I, really I like, listen yes. to the song at the beginning? You remind me of the babe, Kent. Death, you're doing the magic dance again. I know. That's one of the songs. I want to slap that baby. No, my favorite. And do I, make wait, him free. Say, it says make him free. I thought it said make him pee. No, it says make him free. I thought it was make him pee. No, it's make him free. It wouldn't have been too outside the movie you to say make him pee. Babe. What, babe? I'm babe, pretty sure it's make him pee. But no, my favorite, my favorite song is probably Chili Down. Like, I love Chili Down with the Fire Gang. Uh. That was always my favorite. I thought it was so playful and fun and... 
kind of dark. It was dark. And I liked that. With the worst green screen probably ever in movies. It was actually a black screen. Was it? Is they that had, why they... They had that black, uh, the black velvet and then puppeteers were wearing black velvet suits and they had to do the, the thing. And it looked weird because of that. They hadn't quite perfected blue screen, green screen technology yet. So they did what they could. Yeah. But I think the soundtrack's got to go to David Bowie. I mean, David Bowie writing the music. That's See, you're resting on your laurels of being like... Instead of Kaja Gugu. He's a rock star, so he should... Like, you're basically saying David Bowie versus the never-ending story. I'm basically saying all of your arguments. versus pop. Art! <laughs> David Bowie! David Bowie with one kitschy song. That, honestly... That's I like under, only I like underground almost as much as I like Magic Dance. Magic Dance is like the may, maybe the you know the most prominent song. It's in the, the movie. song. It's the one hit wonder of no, Labyrinth. Because then Dude. you have underground, and then you have Chili Down, and then you have As the World Falls Down. That beautiful haunting song in the ballroom scene. <laughs> You're killing me. The song about pedophilia. No, it's the not song about, where it's eyes wide shut, I and th- he's chasing a 15 year old Jennifer Connelly. Down. I have a I have a thing here that says that's actually a Rorschach song, and you see. Your heart's desire in it, Kent. So I'm kind of weirded out by you right now. Well, that's weird because Jim Henson made a scene about pedophilia in no, Eyes Wide Shut. There's never any romantic stuff going oh, on here, between the eat two. Eat this peach that will put you to sleep and will have a dream about submission. What? Did, how Where much, are you getting that from? How much research did you do in a labyrinth? I didn't go into the dark web, Se- Kent. <laughs> uh, first page of Google. Several sources all about how labyrinth is. And I don't want to get into it. It's a little dark. Clearly, but a 15 year old, a 15 year old Jennifer Connelly, a 39 year old at the time, David Bowie, but probably thousands of years old for the Goblin King, (laughs) exploiting her. I like how he pulled it into fantasy to make it even creepier. A story about exploiting this girl. No, he wants that. He wants the baby. I'm your slave. I know, but that's the thing is he's he's supposed to be okay. So let me underground's get really a great song. Let me get into the technicality of this, Ken. The whole labyrinth, the whole movie of Labyrinth is about a coming of age story with the girl. This is her perception of everything that's going on. Of course, there's going to be this dark, mysterious why's, why, man. Why is the baby involved? Her brother? Yeah. Why is the baby involved? Is it her coming of age? No, she, she's Being coming of age, mom? but it's like she doesn't want to. Basically, she doesn't want to be the sister to this crying little baby. But then she realizes because she's thinks of herself as a baby too, but then she becomes a woman and says, okay, I'll take responsibility. <laughs> Thank you for proving my point. Thank you very much. She becomes a woman. Your point, David Bowie. What happened there? Nothing happened. The whole thing is coming of age of leaving your childhood behind you. <laughs> and right, she, at right. the end, she wants to become. She says, "Okay, I will babysit. I will help out. I help out. I will pull my weight around that's, here." That's coming of age. I will babysit. That's the moral no, of no, your that's, story. That's not the whole coming of age. That's her thing because she was always. She was always. Uh, resentful of having to babysit Toby. Then she's like, no, I love my brother. Because he has that's her teddy comes around. bear. Yeah, Lancelot. Yeah, that's Someone's why she was been bad. in my room again. I hate that. I hate it. I hate you. I hate you. So tacky. I love that. I can almost quote the entire movie of Labyrinth. Ew, you make me sick. All right. I'd like to point out that Kent uh, is a little creepy. Just want to point that out. <laughs> you have you seen Labyrinth? <laughs> Just saying, he's projecting some things. That I'd never uh, got from that movie. I'm going to have to stay neutral on this. <laughs> Thank you, Jacob. I'm going to cover, let's go with action. Which one actually had the best action? Like the moments like of, you know, tension and, you know, holding your breath and, right. you know, that cool, that cool sort of sequence. Who wins? So I think that Never Ending Story yeah, has some good-ish moments, but there's no real battles. There's no real fights. 
It's essentially people talking to each other and then long travel sequences set to synthesize music. You're talking about both movies, Joel? No. Because, Are you crazy? I because you were just going to say, this one goes to Willow. <laughs> yeah, which actually has action that, and is better than Labyrinth. It's not better than Labyrinth. They might have Easily. better action sequences because they have like the sledding scene and the fights, the war scenes with the creepy black furry monsters. And the weird snake things. Yeah. But uh, Labyrinth movie. actually has a climactic battle at the end, first with the, the the humongous robot, and then once they get inside, it's all the Goblin City fighting against them, and they have to fight away, and then Ludo calls the rocks. Spoiler yeah. alert. We're going to have a lot of spoiler alerts for this, but oh, yeah, Ludo calls the rocks, <laughs> and they all have this huge battle at the end. I really like imagining people who haven't watched either of these, yeah. listening to you two spout this gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not listening to the show, because Kent told them never to listen to another show ever. Oh, ours, but oh yeah, um, come back, please, please. I'm but very sorry. Never-ending story, the climactic battle. I don't know why Ken's. He better can I, not. Can he I better, talk about my movie? He better Would not be def- okay. He better not defend it because it's essentially no country for old men, and he hated that because the action happens completely off-screen. The climactic battle where the wolf jumps on the boy, and the boy happens to be holding a sharp piece of stone, and it stabs the wolf, and then the wolf's dead, and that's the end. What Joel doesn't seem to understand is pacing. Right? Action isn't just about pacing. Can you, can you hear me out just a little bit? Okay, if you don't say something stupid like Never Any Story has good pacing. What? Okay, like, okay. I'm not like, talking about, I I'm talking about action. In, I do like this movie. I'm bashing on it because I have to, but Unreal. I do like Never Any Story. Real. Okay, so here's the thing. We know you hate it, Joel. <laughs> I don't. I really like and it. And I don't want to attack Joel because I just want to defend the better movie. So Skip that. Just attack you, Wait, Joel. you're switching to my side? <laughs> if there are movies that have synthesizers and people go on a journey. Both movies, okay? No, I said long so here's travel the thing. sequences. All right, Kent, let's hear it. One movie has puppets that run around back and forth and scream at the camera. And there's really a, there's good a, puppetry. There's a dog riding. Really good puppetry. You're right. Yeah. A dog riding a dog. Okay. Next category. Which one has he's a, best he's more of a puppetry? Fox. Pseudonymous is more of a fox. Is a he a fox? Yeah. He, well, a fox is a dog. So anyways, yeah, it's in the Canis family, is it not? <laughs> what Never Ending Story does with tension and building those scenes. Because you, you just... You just hated on the Gamork and Atreyu scene, but the conversation they have beforehand where they are just doing this, this showdown. No. Are you kidding me? The How showdown where it's a- like, why, why is this happening? I'm not going to tell you. But why is it happening? I'm not going to tell you. Jo- dead. Joel's version of Neverending Story is brilliant. <laughs> That's exactly Please do I an mean. entire bad lip reading. Because I'll tell you what I want for my climactic battle. I want I'll tell you what I want from the show is to speak. <laughs> The way it sets up scenes, the tension, it builds. It doesn't need to have like sword slinging or anything like that. It's walking up to the guardians, the gateway thing. The sphinxes. The sphinxes and trying not to look up in the air because it's a little inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my son. But but the music going and it just the way it builds and all of a sudden he has to walk through and not doubt himself and then kind of flip through to do this whole somersault and when it comes down and hits and he and he, he beats it he wins you're like yes yes he didn't beat it he wasn't worthy to pass through he was just a good runner basically if you did a brisk walk past the sphinxes they couldn't kill you oh come where's on. the tension in that dude did you just not see the scene old that, that night could have ran up full gallop and he wouldn't have gotten hit. listen old people can't walk briskly anymore there's a lot of tension there it's old. If, old people? If there was someone old. Henry the Wizard? Was, if was, uh, <laughs> yeah, if there was the one uh, gnome guy that was there, he might have gotten shot. But that actually kind of bothered me this time where I'm like, no, he cheated the system. He wasn't worthy. How would he be able to pass the Sphinx? He just ran through. Atreyu, that's why Atreyu is not the hero. And that's another part of my uh, argument. And Kent said, you know, it's all about setup, which fine. But setup needs follow through. And Everending Story doesn't <laughs> give you the follow through satisfactorily. Oh, are you kidding me? No. 
because all I watching it as watching it just recently, I really kind of went, wow, not a lot happens in this. Like it was kind of surprising. Yeah. It's like they don't keep falling through holes and going to new dungeons and then getting out and then falling through more more holes. It's not a mental puzzle the entire time. And she has to figure out her life lessons as she goes through them in Labyrinth. Because it relies on I've missed verses. It's been a long time. (laughs) No follow through the entire movie builds to a point. And I, this is almost giving away why I think this movie is so great. This is the Christopher Nolan of 80s fantasy oh, movies. Wow. There we go. All right. <laughs> and, and, and I only Do want to tell, give, Kent. I only want to give it partial, but this movie goes deeper than just a kid on a, a relatable kid on a journey, right? This is the person reading the book about the kid on the journey. But it, once again, it's about the person watching the movie about the kid reading the book about the kid on a journey. This is a multi-layered story that not, not only breaks the fourth wall, it breaks like the 16th wall. But there's not really a hero. There's no real. He- there's no real hero in there. Like, what does what a do you do? Mean? Nothing. Bastion. What are you talking? What about? does Bastion do? He really. There's no character arc with Bastion whatsoever. Because at Bastion, at the very <sighs> beginning, at the very no no at the very beginning, I okay, I'm ready to go. At the very beginning, Bastion's dad says you need to get your head out of the clouds and keep your feet on the ground. Yes. And then because he's had his head in the clouds the entire time. And at the end of the movie, he decides to have his head in the clouds and his feet not on the ground, just like he's always done. Do you, he doesn't okay, change. If I may, actually, so let's take a little bit deeper. What Bastion is dealing with is the loss of his mother. Yeah, his dad's a jerk about that. His dad is a total jerk, but and that's he puts why, eggs in his drink. Uh, yeah, oh, that's He's so get gross. Salmonella. Right? But this movie is about uh, defying adulthood and trying to keep that imagination alive. And so mm-hmm. when his dad says, "Get your feet on the ground," actually, that stops him at the end from naming the childlike empress. What does he name the childlike empress? Moonchild. Such a beautiful name. <laughs> Moonchild. Child. If you didn't know what he said, because I didn't know what he said, even when I turned on the subtitles, it would just say screams. Mm-hmm. But he yells out the name Moonchild to give the Empress. Which, once again, that's the climactic. How many times have we screamed that out just on this show? A lot. Uh, that's the climax of the movie, by the way. Since we're still talking about best action, the climax of the movie is a kid walking up to the window and yelling Moonchild. Boom. So, so if I may, can I read some quotes? This is the, the end scene. You say there's no follow through. This is where the follow through comes through. It takes lines from the beginning of the movie and makes him save the day despite his dad, who is really too harsh on him and is not letting him get over the death of his mother. So this is... What do you mean he, does, he says we need to move on? The Empress says, he doesn't understand that he's the only one with the power to stop it. You're my Sam. You're my Sam. He simply cannot imagine that one little boy could be that important. And then you Bastion gotta, says... like the childlike Empress when okay, you say that. I'll say. He one goes, little boy. it's only a story. It's not real. It's only a story. And the Empress says... Why don't you do what you dream, Bastion? He says, but I can't. I must keep my feet on the creepy. ground. She's like 11 years old. This is creepy, Kent. They're both kids. Creepy That's Kent weird. projection. Old man kidnapping kids. Okay. Yeah, but the old man. But I can't. The old I man must in the bookstore. keep my feet on the ground. The old man in the bookstore I'll had save the book you. first. Listen what does to that this. Mean, Listen to this. I'll save you. <laughs> I will do what I dream. This so, kid who is letting authority bring him down in every way. Needs to seek that escape. And do you know what? authority bring him down every way. He completely shirks all responsibility the whole movie. He never had a problem with authority. Joel, this, this movie is about childhood. Maybe your inner child's he dead. No, I like how, actually, I picked up on this when you were talking about this. I just realized Never Ending Story is about don't grow up, stay a kid forever. Whereas uh, Labyrinth is more about, okay, there comes a time when you need to put childish things behind you and grow up. Which, which kids movie do you want to watch? David Bowie didn't get that message. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I put makeup on. And but Kent, the, the same child-like, Lim- Lim- the childlike Empress was in uh, the Neverending Story was in the book of the bookstore owner first. So creepy projection, creepy things on the show. Dude, that's what you do. All right, guys. Nice next, try. Nice next, try. Next category. Which movie 
features a giant flying dog. Yes. <laughs> Willow. Dang it. Uh, Is there a flying dog in that? Uh, it no, should Falcor. be. No, Fal- oh, okay. Can I Avatar. Can Last Airbender. Speaking of creepy. So Falcor, I don't know if you noticed how much he winks in the movie. When he's like, I remember he winks a lot. He's like, I know he, and I didn't really notice until my son went, he winks a lot. What is he winking, dad? He asked me, why is he winking? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Cause that was an odd line to wink at there, bud. He goes, I like children. Wink. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> so yeah. And, uh, you can ride Falcor, by the way, in Germany. They have a place where you can ride what? the Falcor prop, like the 30 foot long Falcor prop. Yeah. 43 foot long. 43. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's amazing. That's Isn't that cool. so cool? That is cool. We that should wasn't go. the category. That should though. be the bacon I mean, Falcor. That's the picture. Falcor, we've used for our picture on shows. I yeah, mean, everyone Falcor. knows Falcor. That's because yeah. you pitched that show, didn't you? Yes. Didn't, was that the... Yeah, never cool. story. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah. the Bacon pick, Pitch Project. You it was the, mm-hmm. the reboot. Yeah, you were, gonna, were you, were you going to reboot it or do a sequel? Probably both. I think it was a reboot. <laughs> I'm nervous to even say this one because the yelling will come, but which movie had the best acting? Well, you mentioned yelling, and it's funny because uh, Noah Hathaway basically yells all of his lines to everyone all the time. He's always yelling. Atreyu, that's that's the... Ah. So Atreyu's always just like, what do I have to do? Come on, Morla, talk to me. Tell me. Like, all his lines are basically yelling the entire time, and... I just think that's kind of ridiculous. Do you really feel like Jennifer, honestly, honestly, from your deep inner critic, did Jennifer Connelly do a good job in that movie? When she first walked on screen, my five-year-old daughter said, and I quote, she's pretty. Good job. So good job, Joel Shallow daughter. She's pretty. <laughs> she's but five, can she can't. act? <laughs> do you know who else said that? David Bowie. David Bowie. <laughs> Trying to take your innocence. No, not your daughter, no, Jennifer no, Connelly. No, no. All, all David Bowie does is he he hams it up. You should have just stopped with, not, you know who else said that? He does not Bowie. actually, this movie goes, <laughs> oh, goblins. Oh, I saw my baby. That's not how the line uh, goes at all. show my cod piece. You know, what? <laughs> One of my favorite lines, actually. Can you unsee like, the cod piece? I really didn't notice it, Kent. Once again, I think we're just learning more about you than we are about the movie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you're playing this part um, right now, and you're being so untrue. One of my favorite lines. That is time. what everyone knows about Labyrinth. It's not, it's not a great moment from David Bowie, but I just love it. Is when he <laughs> Great says, moment? The entire movie. Is when, he's, when the thing goes, ah, what have we here? And Hoggle goes, Nothing. And he goes, nothing, 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 nothing tra la la. I For actually use that. I say, nothing, nothing, tra la la. I love it. Yeah. But Makes no, David no Bowie sense. is the complete mystical being. Like, even in his persona, he never really quite understood who he was. And he was all these different personas throughout his career. David Bowie. And Jareth is just one of those where it's just so mysterious. And I think Sarah plays the every woman perfectly. What? I think she does a great job of playing the naive girl who then realizes, okay, it's time for me to grow up, put childish things behind me, and accept responsibility in my life. See, I would say that those characters are nice for like a fantasy, but the ones that are believable would be like Barrett Oliver as Bastion. He is like every kid. He's the shy bookworm Barrett who Oliver, doesn't really want to go to class. Barrett Oliver is probably the, 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 the better actor in that movie. Yeah, I agree. But Atreyu gets all the screen time and he's not good. And also, actually, I, I think we're not giving credit to the voice actors who are also quite good. Uh, Jim Henson's son, Brian, did a Huggle, Huggle yeah. in um, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. And then Alan Oppenheimer played Who's Falcor. the voice of Skeletor. Yes, yeah, Skeletor. He's done Ooh. 303 voice acting credits. Yeah. Falcor, Rockbiter, and Gamork in this yeah. movie. It's like the voice actors, I and, think, And the both. narrator, too. Like the one that's oh, like, yeah, he did. that's a different story. Isn't that weird when the narrator jumps to the end? You're like, wait, where did this come from? Yeah, there's a narrator? What? Did we? Was he here the whole time? Yeah. But I think acting just, I, I do think that they're both child movies. So we're not going for like well, Academy Award winning drama here. 
But I think when you when you think about the puppeteering alone, that's a form of acting. And Labyrinth has that in the bag because they you believe these characters are real. Well, what you about believe- Falcor with the winking? <laughs> that's a little creepy <laughs> but no hoggle for example is there's four people working that one puppet you have the one person inside who couldn't see anything because she had the giant mask on her head and then you had uh she actually do- didn't do anything she just was suffocating well, she, she, oh no well, she's moving around and then you have three puppeteers doing the face uh face movements and then you have uh, brian henson doing the voice and all that together Jeez. and yet you believe hoggle is a real person and the same with all the other characters that you have in there, all the goblins and the hat people and the the helping hands and all that. You believe these characters are real. And that's why I think acting has to go. That should to be a Labyrinth. t-shirt. Hoggle's a real person. Hoggle's a real person. Hog- too. Or Hogwart, as they call him in the movie. Yep. You're welcome, J.K. Rowling. You see, I, I think you're trying to detract from the human actors in this one who are not good. Oh, it's almost like not all hack not all actors are humans. Kept. Oh wow. Tell that dandy circus, am I right? I feel like you're judging this movie on like is it a Fast and Furious movie? Vin Diesel's supposed to act this way, so he does. Because does Vin Diesel act? No, no, just like Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie in this movie. No, but there's actual <laughs> there's actual acting and attempts at acting where it feels real and never in story. All right, I'll do it. I will do what I'm told. Yeah, weird that an 11 year old boy would act like that. I mean, it's totally believable. Mm. A kid that's scared in the attic that the fate of a Fantasia land rests on his shoulders alone. And he's read that whole story. A kid that gets into a book. Why wouldn't he act that way? Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, I hate my brother. I want him gone. And then two seconds later, I want him back. No, that, that's exactly what a kid does. It's like, I want this. And then it happens. They're like, no, wait, I didn't want that. No, no, I take it back. But she can't because she already said and the goblins took him away. Not, I th- I think, not very believable. It may be I if think, they had different delivery. And I love Jennifer Connelly. No, I love you, Jennifer you don't. Connelly. But I don't love 15-year-old Jennifer Connelly, so... That's probably better you said that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I clarified. I am, too, because that would have been weird otherwise. Also, yeah, just, okay, if you're not careful, the goblins will come take you away. Yeah, Joel, don't wish. Please fun fact. Uh, Season finale. Fun fact about uh, the watching the movie with my kids. My daughter, my five-year-old daughter, once again, could not stop calling Atreyu a she. He kept being like, what's wrong with her? What's she doing? And I kept saying, it's a he. It's a he, baby. But she just could not get it through. <laughs> it was it's a funny, he, baby. It made me laugh. Oh. No, right. I love that part, by the way. You mentioned the goblins can take away. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. When, yeah. when she's like, she's going to say the words. And she's like, Goblin King, Goblin King, wherever you may be, take this baby far away from me. Oh, that's not it. Where'd she get that rubbish? It doesn't even start with I fish. For some reason, it's I just cute. love that, how they undercut the, the scene with humor. Did any of your kids find that creepy? I'm not that scene, but like the goblins themselves. The first scene when after Toby disappears and the goblins are running around the room, my five-year-old did cuddle up right next to me. She got a little weirded out by that. But uh, most of the rest of the movie, she was pretty fine with. She was always worried. And she was also, like, we watched Never Ending Story. She kept being worried about the horse. <sighs> oh, no. But, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, no. Come over here to the kitchen with me for yeah. a minute. Hey, what's that? <laughs> Actually, can I? Can I just do this? Because I feel like I just need some reverence for this part. All right, let's hear it. Because the swamps of sadness. I'll give it to you. This scene still makes me emotional. I can't get over it. The part where he eats the peanut butter and jelly sandwich? No, actually, it's the part where he eats the entire apple. Yeah, the whole core. What was up with that? I don't know, but even my kids said that was weird. He ate the whole apple. So he gets to a part in the book. He's like, yeah, I'm definitely still going to read it. And he goes, hump. And the the whole core. The core. Apple seeds are poisonous, kids. <laughs> Don't do it. So I, I get to this, and I was, this is where I was taking no, uh, notes, and I said, I can't unhear this music because all of a sudden you hear the, it's really the ethereal sort of sadness music. And I go, oh, no, please don't take Artex through the swamps. Please don't do it. And then all of a sudden he, he starts because Artex stops and he goes, 
Come on, Artex. What's the matter? What's wrong? Come on, boy. I, I understand. Artex, you're sinking. Turn around. You have to now. No, you got to be screaming the lines by this No, point. no, but then it, it builds. It goes, zero to 60. Fight against the sadness, Artex. You have to try. You have to care. Artex, You're my please. friend. I love you. And I put Oscar winning performance. No. So I says, oh, and then I say, Atreyu <laughs> cries. And then Bastion reading the books cries. And then me watching the movie, I cry. This is a three layer story. That scene gets me so much. It's I credit that as the only movie scene that's ever truly made me cry. Maybe not true. But it's the only one that I can still watch and go, I get those feelings like my, my chest gets all puffed up. And I'm like, don't do it. Uh, as a kid, it. I completely agree with you, Kent. As an adult, that death scene feels unearned. Hashtag Joel 2017. I watched it this time and I went, oh my gosh, our text dies that quick? Like we only got one scene of them really kind of it's, bonding-ish when they eat together. He eats him, feeds him some sugar cubes. But if I may, it's an hour and a half movie. But it did feel like it, I just I remember I was like, I can't I don't remember this happening that early. So I, I kind of felt it was under. Also, why was Artex sad? Like, why all of a sudden did the horse get depressed? Like, where did that even come from? All of a sudden the horse starts sinking. And then I'm like, well, why did the horse get sad? Well, it's kind of like, for example, if I may, uh, I'm going to bring this back to the last Ava- or the last airbender real quick. I love you for that. <laughs> and I was kind of like I got to this episode where I was like, wait, what happened? Appa? Oh, Appa. what happened? Appa? Why? Why, why did that happen? And then Joel's like, this is part of the hero's journey. Like the hero must lose yes. everything in order to complete the but journey. But that was like season two or yeah, season it was. three. So you already had built that relationship. It, it, sure. But I was kind of like, oh man, like I, I kind of got why they, he had to get rid of Artex so soon because Atreyu truly le- needed to lose everything and everyone to complete the journey so that Bastion could th- and finish the journey. And I will say it was a little early, but they kind of summarized it with expo- exposition where they're like, both Atreyu and Artex uh, tried to find the cure for weeks and then they stopped for a few times yeah. to rest. That was, and then that the, was part of the thing is like, I, I, it was that montage when I went, oh, really? That was just a montage? Like there wasn't anything that happened between then and then? He was at a stream, a really yeah. pretty stream. Really pretty stream. Yeah, the movie literally takes a lunch break in the middle, a half hour into the film. But Gamork is chasing. So, you know, pacing. Yeah, great pacing for an hour and a half movie. All Thank right. you. Lunch break. All right, next category. Uh, I want to combine makeup and visual effects. Who has Come the best? On. Come on. It, I, it's never ending story. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying that, uh, well, just for an example, Jareth, the Goblin King, mm-hmm. has this crystal ball that he just waves back and forth between his hands. And it looks like this bubble. It looks like a special effect, but it's it, not. It often is a special effect, though. No, it's not. It's mostly a crystal Joel. ball, except when it floats Not in his away. hands, yes. But it's not his hands. They actually <laughs> had so a weird. puppeteer putting his hands underneath David Bowie's armpits and doing the things blind. So he was doing all these gymnastics with this crystal ball and not even being able to, be able to tell. And that shows the magic of Labyrinth. They're, they're all about practical effects. Almost everything they do is practical. Black screen. But, they, but they, they're using puppets and things like that. It's not CGI. It's not uh, hokey looking. Uh, and also the opening credits with the owl. Looks terrible, by the way. But it was one of the first... Uh, first use of realistic CGI animal in a film ever. Like they were breaking new ground there, trying this owl and seeing how it worked out. And the puppets. I mean, like I said, you believe Hoggle is real. You believe these goblins are really running around. You believe Ludo is a, is a real person. You just love him and want to give him a hug because Ludo, 
friend. Smell bad. I love Ludo. <laughs> and Sir Didymus and the dog. Like I like. If you watch closely, you can actually see when they swap. Can in that dog fly? Puppet dogs. No, he can. Just, no, he can uh, run. Flying well. dogs for the win. But I love yeah. how they switch in puppet dog and real dog, depending if they're doing like a running shot or a, a close-up shot. I want to give credit to both these movies because you mentioned practical effects. Both movies excel. They do a lot of. I, I love the puppets in Labyrinth. They are awesome. Jim Henson does puppets, yes. right? But I will say, like practical effects, like you, you'd be selling Neverending Story short by saying it's not practical. Well, it's more. I just feel like the puppets in Labyrinth are better, and maybe it is because it's two years later. But you can tell the puppets in Neverending Story are puppets, but you forget they're puppets when you're watching Labyrinth. So, for example, Falcor, if I may, he's they built him forty three so foot long motorized. He has six six thousand shiny plastic scales, and he's draped with pink leather fur. Jeez. I mean, they created Falcor, and yeah. they didn't even use it. Mostly, it was just the animatronic head going up and down on the screen. Yeah, right. Like that's that's. But they still built him. But that's the thing is like when and this is compliment to uh, Neverending Story. But when he's riding on him, and yeah. even even though it's pretty obvious, it's a, sure. like a screen in front of him. I think every one of us as a kid was like, it's like I'm riding Falcor. It, look, look. If I was able to get wishes, and every wish created a new part of Fantasia, it would be to ride Falcor. It would be. <laughs> one of them would be. But do you so, really? Okay, I want to bring that up just as a point too. Bastion is given all the power in the world. Yeah. And what does he do with that? He gets revenge. This boy is going to cause some problems. <laughs> he really is. Not only that, but and this is something I didn't pick up on until I was an adult, just barely watching it. I remember that as a kid, I was like, he doesn't seem like a very good person. <laughs> they give him the basic the power, they're like, oh crap. But no, he's flying in to get the bullies. But if you notice, there are adults, full-grown adults on the street who are screaming and running to the walls and running inside so, buildings because he's terrorizing I actually, the city. In my watch notes, I said, is this a prequel to Pacific Rim? Because <laughs> I was like, this has got to be a big incident, right? Like, they have got to build major robots to fight yeah. these luck dragons. Um, so can I add this real quick? Yeah, so go for it. About effects real quick. Roger Ebert said, there's a lot about Neverending Story. There's a lot to believe in in Neverending Story. And that's the other great strength of this movie. It contains some of the more inventive special effects work of a time when battles in outer space have grown routine. And then he mentions, like, look at how everything is copied Star Wars, but then look at Neverending Story, where an entirely new world has been created. And granted, it came two years early, uh, before Labyrinth, but it built a movie. I'm not saying it's, it's Lord of the Rings or anything, and it created these archetypes. Right. But what it did with, like, actual environments and, like, the sound stages and everything... It was great. No, and that's one of the reasons I... Well, and you talked about, you know, the, the building of Falcor too, which is impressive. Yeah. The, the the helping hands, the shaft of hands in Labyrinth was a rig that was 40 feet high and required 100 performers to operate the hands. And Jennifer Connelly was in a rig that they would yeah, raise and lower And they left her there sometimes for lunch break. She just lay up... She's oh. just hang up there for a and while. And they told her if, if she reached behind her and touched the rig that she was on, her hands would have been cut off because it was so <laughs> much pressure. Yeah. I, I think it's hilarious. And then magic She's 16 dance. Years old. The dance magic scene, as they called it, the magic dance scene, consisted of over 48 puppets, 52 puppeteers, and eight people in goblin costumes running around. Not only that, but uh, the the puppets weren't just good in the movie. They were great. They were good in real life. Because oh. they brought them to the premiere, and they had some of the puppets walking around, like Hoggle, and they had like the head moving. They also had uh, Ludo, and they, well, they had a royal premiere in Princess Diana of Wales, Ooh. met Ludo and said, quote, isn't he wonderful upon being introduced to him? <laughs> it's a fun fact. I love it. Princess <laughs> Diana loved Ludo, just like I do. <laughs> Diana, Diana friend. 
I feel like that that's wrong to say. <laughs> I feel like you can't do that. What? It's well, Ludo. He can say that. Oh, it's Ludo. Okay. Yeah. He loves David Bowie and Roger Ebert too. <laughs> and they're dead. Oh. Whoa. Oh, did you know that Michael Jackson was almost uh, Jareth, the Goblin King? Yeah, but there's a lot of those. They would have been. They would have been. But makes sense though for the character. <laughs> if you're projecting creepiness on it, Ken, like you have been. Oh, I will say this. I found uh, a fun facts. I know we're not to fun facts yet. Can I still add some? Sure, why not? Labyrinth is the 13th most successful puppet movie of all time. <laughs> According There's to what? It's uh, after all, this is Box Office Mojo. Oh, okay. After all of the Muppet movies, Dark Crystal, being John Malkovich, puppet and movie? Follow That Bird. Wow. Yeah, and also, I read this too. Falcor is actually the number four movie dragon of all time, according to the site called Showtime Showdown. <laughs> That's your site. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons, by the way, Labyrinth may have not done as well at the box office, because it was going up against ones like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Top Gun, Ruthless People, Karate Kid Part 2. Like, oh, it, I love that movie. It's some pretty stiff competition. <laughs> so right. I actually looked up the heroes, and I don't know if this is categories, Jake. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, what are you talking about? I looked about? up the heroes wiki. And the villains wiki, because we use those so much for our brackets. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I looked up the heroes and the villains on this one. Oh, I didn't. So, for example, uh, Atreyu, it's his name means son of all. His powers and skills are archery and hand-to-hand combat. And his hobby is wilderness survival and Can tracking. Do any archery in the movie? Is this from the book? Oh, he's the uh, he's a uh, plains people that hunt the purple, right, purple but buffalo. I mean, we don't see anything like that in the movie. It's just in the uh, art. But oh, yeah, this yeah, is okay, in his, yeah. okay. Joel, this is Heroes Wiki. No, I'm just trying to figure out if they're going from the book or from the movie. Yeah, and so Bastion, his, his powers and skills are stealing, eating a whole apple. I wrote that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his hobbies are dreaming and making wishes. And then Sarah Williams from Labyrinth, her powers and skills are cleverness and dancing skills. Her hobbies are taking care of Toby. I don't know if I believe that one. And avoiding traps and goblins, which she is pretty pretty good at. Uh, Gamork. His occupation is servant of the power behind the nothing. Yeah, so he's like a—he's not even like the big bad. He's like—he's the, 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 the big harb- bad right hand he, man. He's essentially the, he's known as the harbinger of doom. He's a silver surfer. Yeah, exactly. So his powers and skills are speed and fangs. The nothing. I actually want to read the Neverending Story book because it sounds like there's some pretty cool stuff behind the nothing. It does actually. So okay, here's the thing about the nothing. I feel like that's almost too much for kids. Because basically it's, it's deep, it's right? Non-existent. Yeah, it's oblivion. It's obliteration. When you say it's not enough. No, no, I'm saying I might be, I'm saying it might be too oh, much for kids. Oh, <laughs> I get you. But I mean, it really, I mean, I don't think I want my kids dealing with existential dread. No, it really is. So, no, so, so for example, the nothing's occupation, manifestation of disbelief, destroyer of imagination. Its powers and skills are vast dark powers, erases everything it comes in contact with, attracts all looking at it and turns all fantasians it erased into, hold on, get this, turns all fantasians into lies in the real world. That's some deep stuff. I need yeah. to read this book. A hobby, <laughs> hobby for the nothing, wreaking havoc What's... and destruction. And then it was actually created by these uh, these things called the manipulators. What? Which is not in the movie, but it's in the book. Interesting. So I really want to read this. Huh. But I want to bring up the fact too that Bastion and Atreyu both fail in their mission. Atreyu doesn't ever really find the human boy. He just happens to be along with him. And Bastion doesn't save Fantasia. Bastion, Fantasia is dead, Fantasia. and Bastion creates a new Fantasia. Yay! Family friendly, okay? What? Never mind. <laughs> oh, by <laughs> the way, fell at all? What are you talking I, about? I, th- I think you noticed. I think what he's talking about because I used to be. I used to be scared to say Bastion's name when I was a kid because I thought it was a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> oh, by the way, I didn't get to Jareth. By the way, oh yes, occupation Jareth. wizard, much like Henry, ruler of Goblin City, power skills, magical powers, implied immortality, which would help him in the villains bracket. Control over time and space, so he may be a doctor. And his hobbies are kidnapping, ruling, and challenging. 
and he's a mon- monarchical magician or monarchial monarchial magician. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. Roger Ebert said this about the nothing. You're quoting him a lot. How's this? He loves Roger Ebert. The corpse of Roger Ebert. No. How's, how's this for a threat? The kingdom of Fantasia is about to be wiped out and the enemy isn't an evil wizard or a thermonuclear device. It's nothingness. That's right. An inexorable wave of nothingness is sweeping over the kingdom, destroying everything in its path. Were children's movies this nihilistic in old days? That's just it is heavy. It's heavy yeah. because it's a deep story. It's That's not. A thing. No, 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 no. It's not. It's not even a deep the story. Rock. It's a story with deep concepts, but they really kind of skim the surface in the movie. The book has. No, a lot you more listen of to that. the dialogue in the Rockbiter, one of the deepest characters in the story. Oh, when he promotes suicide. Oh come on! Oh come on! When the Rockbiter's there, is like, these look like big strong hands, but I couldn't save people, so I'm just gonna sit here and die now. I give up. He was oh, going to get bother. sucked away. He, the whole world is getting sucked away. But he no, the basically thing is he promotes goes, suicide. But <laughs> I mean, even when the rock biter is saying like he used to eat rocks at this other place and his family or his kind was around and they're like, was everything gone? And he's like, no, there was a lake and uh, even a, not a lake would be something. He's like, is there a hole? He's yeah, like, is no. there a hole? No, there was nothing. Yeah, there's nothing there. I'm like, wow, this is deep. And honestly, too deep for me when I was watching this when I was seven. But the fact is, for me, that's why it has longevity. Is because I every time I watch it, and granted, both these movies you watch them in your mid thirties, and you go, "Yeah, I remember when I used to watch this on Saturday afternoons, and mm, I was this nostalgia. this age, and everything like that." But I still think the concept in this movie are deeper than anyone really I just, realizes. I just realized something. Hmm. So you're switching. We're, votes. we're men no, children. I just, I well, yeah, we are definitely men children. But uh, when we were talking before, Al Kent said this is a Nolan movie. I think I just realized that Never Any Story is dark and depressing. And Labyrinth is bright and fun. So Kent is voting for the DC and I'm voting for Marvel, apparently. And that's why he likes it is because it's dark and depressing. Whereas I think children's movies are fun and happy and have a good moral instead of a little boy who has a mental breakdown and ends up dreaming about killing people. We're going to turn this baby boy into a goblin. That's you can what get here Sarah in 13 perceives. hours or then... Eat this peach and you may either die or succumb to my fantasy. No, he gives her the peach to to forget about everything so she won't keep pursuing the baby and won't win. But what was the whole crystal ball thing where she went through the, the whole... It was a fever dream. It was a fever dream. She no, was this is, The whole movie is Sarah's perception of what's going on. If you, if you look well, at hold the... Hold on. Hold on. Can I ask you this? Yes. Because I want to know. I actually think maybe this gives more to the story. Because otherwise I think it's a pretty basic story. Everything basic that happens... Basic girl, is that what you're saying? Maybe. Everything that happens in Labyrinth is is based on things that are in her room yes oh yeah at the beginning you see did, like, did you know this jake oh no. like you pictures s- on the wall or there, toys there's, there's sir didymus there's a toy there's a goblin king toy there's books like wizard of oz there's uh uh oh shoot i'm forgetting what it's called like basically there you see all these props at the very beginning in the room it foreshadows so, the entire movie it, is hmm. this happening in her in her mind well and that's the whole question it sounds it's, like it has to be well that's the whole question is like it's like wizard of oz it's like is it a dream is it not a dream did it really happen did it not happen mm-hmm. but the whole point is like i said the whole point of the movie is she's a girl who doesn't want to grow up and so she has all these toys in her room she reads all these you know books about you know fantasy but then at the end of the movie, she even gives it, uh, Lancelot away to Toby. And even there's a midpoint of the movie when she's with the junk lady, when she realizes that if she holds, and this is more, maybe more of a cautionary tale against hoarding, but if you keep <laughs> all of your stuff from your childhood, it just bogs you down. You become that trash lady. That's what the whole point of that is. So she learns, okay, you know what? I'm going to put away childish things. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to be a grown up. Put she away never says white that. childish things? What? 
Put away white childish That's things. racist. What? I thought that's what you said. Yeah. Uh, projection? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of projection happening on this show. Jake, you, want, you want to see what he is now, Ken, since you're labeling all of us? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a great guy, Jake. Thanks. <laughs> all right. So next category, which show features a really creepy guy with insane eyebrows and hair that's everywhere? That's Falcor. <laughs> <laughs> or it's the, it's the gnome guy from Never Ending Story. Oh, the gnome guy, the gnome guy. I guess. You like how we don't know any of their names? To the by winch. The way. To the winch. Wench. You don't know. Like that's the thing. By the way, that's the thing about Never Ending Story versus Labyrinth. You know Bastion. You know. Uh, you know Atreyu. Bastion. Atreyu. You know the, the Empress, Empress Moonchild. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good run. Yeah. With Labyrinth, you have uh, Sarah and Jareth and Hoggle and Joel, Sir put it to song, and okay? <laughs> I don't have a song. But I'm, I'm saying Joel, the characters, I think the characters in Labyrinth are more memorable What you're saying is so biased because you know this movie by heart and you know what are these the, characters. What are the names of the, without looking at your notes, what are the names of the gnomes? I don't know the names of the gnomes. They're one of the few characters. Know the names besides, of the gnomes. Atreyu is the only one that has basically... Any sort of character depth? No, nah, there's the flat. guy with the spine on his head. Gordon from, from Sesame Street? I, well, he does I look to, like Gordon. He does. I used to think that. I think he's in the Jedi Council in the first uh, Star Wars. He probably could have been. Because he looks just like that guy. Ken, did you have some IMDb like facts or something like that? Oh, I have a Parents Guide notes because I oh, love getting those. Guide. That's Which one's more family friendly? <laughs> so they're both a little unfamily friendly in there's many ways. There's definitely parts where I'm like, whoa. Okay. Like, for example, um, there's a little bit of swearing in Labyrinth. Not harsh yeah. language. Oh, Family-friendly Labyrinth? Coggle says the D word a couple times. So this is from the Parents Guide. Uh, this one's really long, but it also proves my point, which you thought I was being a little weird before. So Jareth, the Goblin King, is stated to be in love with the underage pubescent Sarah, and his romantic desire for her is heavily implied not to be entirely unrequited. But this is in also one, in Sarah's she likes mind. Him too? In one dream sequence, she and he have a slow dance with each other at a rather decadent masquerade ball. And near the end, as he's making one final appeal to, appeal to her, some of the things he says are highly reminiscent of, and I'm going to leave one term out, but <laughs> submission fantasies. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's there. And Parents Guide is kind of the Bible. Oh, so yeah. Parents Guide, <laughs> which is written by IMDb users who run the YouTube comments uh, section. A Peach Jareth has, has Hoggle gives Sarah, induces a surreal dream sequence, very much like a drug trip, which is followed by amnesia, heavily implying that it's been spiked with something hallucinogenic. The concept of bog of eternal stench, which I've always loved, I even though it's a 10 minute fart joke, <laughs> which will make anyone fall, fall into it stink forever, can be too disturbing for younger children. No, I like, I actually like the bog of eternal stench because it, it has stakes. Like there's, there's a problem there. If you put in that, you'll stink forever, but it's on a kid level. So it's, they're not going to die. They're just going to stink. I love that because it it's good like, for kids. Yeah, yeah it's, it's freaky. Except it's for, for kids. The swamps of sadness where you'll die in quicksand. Dude, so you want to bring up the swamps of sadness? How the, the director almost killed Noah Hathaway? Oh, tell me about that. Because you told me about this like a year ago. Yeah, yeah so, I can't okay, remember the so story. The, to get the swamps of sadness to work, they had a hydraulic platform and they actually trained the horse to not flinch as they lowered it down to the neck. Like they trained him. You're not going to go all the way under. And so the, the horse was fine. Noah Hathaway, however, when he was going under, his foot got caught on the platform and he got pulled under the surface <gasps> and almost drowned. They pulled him out. He was unconscious. Wait, was this a soundstage or like actually in a This was swamp? a soundstage. Yeah, okay, it was okay. a soundstage. And uh, they also, Noah Hathaway got thrown from a horse and stepped on. He almost got his eye poked out by the uh, Gmork prop when it jumped on him. Like they were not friendly to kids on this set. Like he went through a lot. Also, apparently the, the director, Wolfgang Peterson, was a perfectionist and made the kid do like 40 takes. So the Swamps of Sadness was, took months to film, he said. Wow. Sounds miserable. I mean, it's a great scene. 
I, it turned, out, yeah. turned out good, but I was just like, man, dude, it's good. That it was filmed in Germany, probably because it, if it were filmed here, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And actually, I do want to give some props to Wolfgang Peterson. <laughs> props. Props? Yeah, like the movie props. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's a movie prop. The RN. It's Falcor's face. The necklace. The snake king <laughs> the snake's called the RN. So Wolfgang Ooh. Peterson, like uh, his best, most celebrated movie is probably Das Boot. Das Boot. Have you guys seen that? Das Boot. I have not it's seen It's pretty it. good, actually. Uh, he cool. did Enemy of Mine. He did Line of Fire, right? In Line of Fire, Outbreak, Air Force One, The Perfect Storm, and Troy. And then Jim Henson did, Jim Henson did Big Bird's Favorite Party Games, The Dark Crystal, The Great Muppet Caper, and Shalom Sesame. <laughs> <laughs> and this was his final It was Jim Henson's this final movie. final movie. I think, I think Labyrinth finally killed uh, oh, Jim Henson. Oh, come on. Have some reverence for the man. Good heavens. He's, he's dead, though. Killed like his David career. Bowie. You should have said killed his career. And his life. Also his no. life. <laughs> you guys are so insensitive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you didn't take that one. That would have been good. All right. say, by the way, can I tell you, one of my favorite one of my favorite moments of Labyrinth, if I just want to bring this up because I just got reminded of it, is the riddle. The, the riddle of the two doors, where they have the two doors, she has to pick which one. Uh, one of these leads to the castle to the center the way, of the labyrinth, and the other one leads to boom, 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 certain death. Ooh. And she has to decide because one of them always tells the truth, and one of them always lies. And she has to determine which door will help her get there and which door will kill her. And I love that moment because she outsmarts them in a way that every time I watch it, my brain gets it just for a little bit. And then it goes away again. You want to know how she does it, Jacob? How she do it? She goes to one of the doors and says, if I ask the other guy if this door lead to, leads to the castle, what would he say? And then they talk it over and she says, yes. And then it's like, okay, well, then it's obviously the other door. And he says, but I could be lying. It's like, well, then the other guy would be telling the truth. Well, he could be telling the truth. Then you would be lying. And the way she right, does right. it, I love I love it. Oh, I'm sorry. Kent's not impressed by strong, independent female leads. One of the most so. passive heroes of all time. No, she's actually very strong and independent. And she does a great job of solving these puzzles as she's going along. She's a good hero. She's so passive. No, but then you she's get... She's led a, from place now, to place. Now, I know you like the strong, independent female hero of Atreyu, but he literally does nothing. He does nothing. He rides around the whole time and runs and rides. And passes that's it. two gateways, which no other heroes can. He runs past it because he's not worthy enough to survive. What was the other? Oh, yeah. He looks the in a mirror, mirror, which is even harder than the first one. Which that always weirded me out, by the way. I'm like saying, are they saying that he's Bastion or that Bastion's him or that Bastion's the creator? Like, I no, I'm, no, not, I'm not bashing on that. This no, is actually that's one of those. I could answer that question. The reader, Bastion, sees himself as Atreyu because when you read a book, you kind of put yourself in the protagonist role, right? Right, but what did Atreyu saw him? And because the story is deeper, Atreyu sees Bastion in the mirror because like no other book you've ever read, kind of like the old man says at the beginning, you affect this story. Hmm. You're literally saving that universe. It just never quite, I kind of read that. I'm like, that seems just like a gimmick for the movie. All right, guys. Oh, but it's not. That's what it's built around. It's the never ending story. Next category. For anyone watching or reading it. (laughs) Which movie has the best moral of the story? I think we've probably already touched on this. Where, uh, oh, yeah, give me a short argument on this. Uh, I'm going to quote Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly said that the film is about a young girl growing out of her childhood who is just now becoming aware of the responsibilities that come with growing up. And that's what the moral of the story here. Well, there's actually a couple more uh, morals that they go along throughout the movie. That's the main one. Yeah, there's multiple morals. What, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it teaches kids, for example, it teaches you that you only get the right answers when you ask the right questions. It teaches you not to take things for granted. It teaches you that life isn't always fair, but that's just the way it is. And it teaches you that things are not always what they seem, which are good lessons to teach the kids. In Never Ending Story, it teaches you, hey, get revenge on the bullies that robbed you at the beginning. Oh, and you're probably having a mental breakdown. And that's why you've seen all this. <laughs> 
you're talking about mental breakdowns. What's labyrinth? It's if not she's seeing everything that's in her room. Yeah. But you just said it's happening in her in her mind. It's a symbolic journey, Ken. It's a little deeper than I think you'd understand. But you know, the arbitrary thirteen most hours. Most seven year olds can comprehend it, Ken. <laughs> nice try. I think the moral. I mean, yes, I've talked about how this is a deeper story. I I joked about the Christopher Nolan thing. It's a deeper story. It's about a kid dealing with loss. I mean, it shows in the first scene of the movie, him waking up, the picture of his mom on the wall, and his dad yells at him to get up and have his breakfast and go to school. And so he sits there and he goes. Okay, okay, I need to grow up like my dad says, and I need to have responsibility, but he's still a kid, you know? Let him have imagination, because apparently in this movie, all the adults in the world are just under control, and they're letting imagination die, and that's why Fantasia's dying. But if you truly believe something, if you keep your imagination, you will not be under anyone's control. You will save So we don't really see any universe in the movie. It's basically Bastion in the attic the entire time. What, what, other than the dad, what other adults do we interact with? What, what do you mean? Like, no, the whole thing is about authority, though. But that's um, you said all the adults in the movie, but I, I can only like, remember the dad. The, the dad, but Gamork and the nothing represent authority they're as well. They're teenagers. Oh, they're teenagers? Ah, Gamork. If He's the, so rebellious. If there's anything, it's a teenager, it's the nothing. Just that, that destructive force coming in and <laughs> ruining everything. It's probably true. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, I love the game plan that uh, 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 Finhead uh, gives to Atreyu. He says, no one can give you any advice except this. You must go alone. You must leave all your weapons behind. Gandalf? It will be very dangerous. Those are his instructions. Really no purpose. And do you know what he does as a hero? He leaves his weapons behind. Why Here's did he have, what I love he have to this. leave his weapons behind? Much like Lord of the Rings in any true great fantasy movie. The threat is bigger than anyone could imagine. And here's where here's where it's really like Frodo's or Bilbo's story. The smallest among us have the ability to save the day. The relatable kid in the movie can save the universe. The kid and that's, having the mental breakdown, thinking the book speaking to him. Yes, yeah, Sarah. Sarah. Because he's been hiding Looking at a picture of David Bowie on the wall can w- save the universe. With carbon monoxide fumes. Or her little brother. <laughs> mixed to the furnace. You too cannot whine about babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> Moon child! I saved the world! Toby! I'm going to go shove those bullets into a dumpster now. Because <laughs> no I'm means, in charge. No means no, Jareth. <laughs> <laughs> no means... All right. Which movie is the most... Rewatchable. I will hear your arguments now. Actually, I love watching both of them. I will say, like, watching... Very convincing argument. No, like, look, I like both these movies. This is kind of where I'm going to come and kind of bring it around on something we can all agree on. I like watching both these movies. This weekend, I had a lot of fun with it. Labyrinth is a little bit longer by, like, 15 minutes. And so, yeah, I watched it in two sittings because I watched too many movie screeners this weekend. Whereas I could fly through NeverEnding Story because, like Joel with Labyrinth... Never Ending Story is my movie. Clearly, that's why I picked it. It's uh, Bastion is literally his picture on one of his email accounts that I email him on. Yes. Yeah. I love it. And, you know, the Falcor thing. For me, the fantasy and and I hate nostalgia, but personally. You hate nostalgia? I kind of hate nostalgia. Well, I hate everyone. You know, the strangest he, things. No, you just said I hate He said I hate everyone. You heard it. He said I hate everyone. <laughs> I, no, I don't mean that. Please listen to the show. You're mad about everybody having the 80s nostalgia right now. A little bit. Right, but for yeah. me, this is my 80s nostalgia. This movie brings back emotions. It brings back like intensity. So when Stranger Things covers Never Ending Story, you're going to be all in. in season I, three. That's a good question. Will I be mad or will I be happy? I don't even know. <laughs> You'll be ruin Stranger Things. Uh, and so Never Ending Story for you. Yes, honestly, because it's a shorter movie and because I think it tells this great story that even by the end, every time I go, you know what? I forgot what the category is. Jack. I'm what part is of this story, too. Most rewatchable. Oh, okay. I, that I can I can rewatch it a ton. Labyrinth. 
I don't mind rewatching because it's a simple story. And I go, oh, that's that's nice. And I like magic dance. I'm glad you do. That's it. Um, and I, I do want to bring up one more thing that I forgot to bring up in the moral of the story because I did have this at the end of the notes. Sorry, too um, late. Ah, well, this, this, a little bit this late. Ties so in, close, this ties into but... it because I was going to say that I okay. get emotional every time I watch Labyrinth and I did again. What scene? The ending. And that's what I was going to say is because at the emotional? very end. Well, because oh, first of all, the, she does have the hero's journey, too, because she has to leave all her friends behind to go and face the Goblin King alone. And that's kind of that hero's journey thing. And she goes and the follow-up question thing. after you do this. But uh, at the very end, when she says, okay, I'm going to grow up, it starts putting away all the childish things, and the characters come to him, and they're like, should you need us? You know, what's going to happen? Should you need us? And she says, I'll call. And they're like, you will? And she's like, yeah, every now and then, I just, I just need you. And I think that's true, that every now and then we need these reminders from our childhood. We need to have a dumb discussion about two of our childhood favorite movies every now and then. because It's so true. Because remembering our childhood helps us from becoming cynical and bitter. And that's why I think the moral of the story of Labyrinth is. It's like, yeah, why, you can grow up. Why hasn't that worked for Kent then? Because <clears throat> he doesn't hold on to his childhood enough. Okay, can I read this <laughs> quote again? Well, I have one more. Oh, okay. But also, there was one other moral that I wanted to get to, and it's one of my favorite moments in the movie, and it's the, it's, it's the buildup. Like when Sarah's trying to get Toby, who, by the way, Toby's adorable in his little pajamas. Um, by the way, David Bowie did the sounds for Toby. In the, the, girls. In the song. Oh, the yeah. baby says. Oh, and a lot of people were like, oh, the baby must have been so terrified. And I actually read an interview with him and, and he was like, no, like he, did, he doesn't remember it. But like the parents were saying that he wasn't terrified by the goblins at all. In fact, he found him funny. So they had to wait till he was grumpy and tired to get him to cry in scenes like had to wait till nap time to actually get him to react yeah. the way they wanted him to. Anyway, but she's tasting Toby. It builds up to this thing where Jareth is trying like, no, you need to stay here with me forever. And then she just says that amazing line where she's just like, you have no power over me. And then everything just crumbles down and she wins. And I love that because when you're faced with despair or temptation or depression or anything like that, you have no power on me. Use those words. You'll feel better. And as I watched, and now jumping into the, the, the heart of the matter, when I watched these, this weekend, Machina, kind of. I got chills when I got the, you know, you have no power over me, which she, this once again, bookends, she, she references it at the very beginning of the movie and she hits it at the end. So it's a very good kind of bookend moment of the, of the movie. It gives that kind of emotional power. But then I really just enjoyed it and tapping along with the music, singing along, loving it. I watched Never Ending Story, hoping I'd have the same magic I did because I own both these is movies. This, is this closing arguments, essentially? You're kind of you're kind of sounding like that. When I watched Never Ending Story, I was surprised. And maybe it was because I was looking at it with a critical eye because I was coming into this because I love Never Ending well, yeah. Story. But I, I watched had, Labyrinth with the same thing. Like, I'm in a I had bad to take notes. bad notes. Yes. Like, my notes here are like, oh, his dad's a jerk. Oh, how dare he say that? Like, just kind of getting into there. All for a reason. But it was because of this. But at the same time, I kind of went, man, I don't know. I don't know if this is as good as I remember. Like, if I had to rate them, Labyrinth would be a five star for me. Never Ending Story would probably be a four and a half. Like, it just. That's really nice. It doesn't quite get there all the way. Wait, which, is Labyrinth really a five star movie for you? I can watch that one anytime and be happy with See, it. See, for me, I feel like Never Ending Story. Maybe is, four and a half, four. Never Ending Story is probably a B. Plus. Willow would be a B, and Labyrinth would be a C. Plus. That doesn't sound very complimentary. I thought we were going to go on. Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah. I, you're right. we're you're right. I, meant, I, meant, I meant a B. I no, meant a B. You, no, you didn't. I meant a B. No, you're, actually. You're being a B. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right, Kent. <sighs> Anywho. You had more comments on rewatchability? Uh, I'm, no. I'm ready to move on. Okay. All right. Last category is which movie had the biggest and most lasting cultural impact? Um, so I just want to bring up a couple of things here. So David Bowie once said, Every Christmas, a new flock of children comes up to me and says, oh, you're the one who's in Labyrinth. That's what they know him from. That's where I learned who David Bowie was from, was from Labyrinth. Jennifer Connelly also said, I still get recognized for Labyrinth by little girls in the weirdest places. I can't believe they still recognize me from that movie. 
And since 1997, an annual two-day masquerade ball called the Labyrinth of Jareth uh, happens in Hollywood every year. This is a cultural that's impact. cultural impact. Twelve like, this is like masquerade. <laughs> no, I'm, that's I'm, like that's like I'm a ring saying, fair. I'm starting out by saying that this movie made an impact in a lot of people's minds. Also, this may not help my thing, and it may just put Kent's head in a weird place because he's been doing that all, all story. But fanfiction.net hosts over eight thousand nine hundred stories in its labyrinth section. Ew. People love labyrinth. They love fanfic. Uh, by the way, do not Google image Sarah and Jareth. Please don't. Well, I don't want to now. Well, now everyone wants to. <laughs> no. It's like it's like googling the uh, the Winchester brothers. Why are don't you, do it? Don't stop doing no googles. <laughs> Get heavens. Don't Google fan fiction or anything. But any I of feel that. like the music is is just omnipresent. You you hear it everywhere. People know. You know. You oh, remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe okay, with power. What be power? Be honest though, Joel. I know you love it, but you and I. It sounds like you love them equally. I think people really only know Magic Dance. Like you got to be honest there. I maybe like that's the most popular one. I won't deny it's that. Easily the most but at the popular. same time, Chili Down was my favorite. And in the underground or underground, I call it in the, in the underground, but underground is another very popular one as well. And he made a music video. I was going to say he made a music video. David Bowie did of I think it was at the, as the world falls down. Maybe it was underground, but he made one of those music videos and that helped promote the movie. But I feel like Labyrinth is the bigger movie overall. I feel like Never Any Story was a good German film and, you know, pretty popular over here. But I feel like Labyrinth is the more cultural relevant one, culturally relevant one. All right. Ken. I like that you say German film that's pretty popular over here, but it made far more money well before. But the dubbing just is so Lim, Lim Hall's never ending story. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? Ranked number, if we're going uh, one hit wonders, easily takes cultural impact. Number 17 on the U.S. billboard. Number one in Norway and Sweden. Number two in Austria and Germany and Italy. Number four in the U.K. Number six in Australia. I mean, this song alone, you hear those opening, those really ethereal notes, yeah. and, and you're like, I'm there. Oh, that's a good song. I'm there. But we're not talking about music. I want to watch this movie. Weren't you just talking about music? That Basically, was part of my argument. Ta- you said David Bowie, David Bowie, David Bowie. Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly gets asked questions and they go to a Ren Fair. That's about it. <laughs> well, how, mean, many, how many never ending story Ren Fairs are there? Oh, let's go ask uh, Noah Hathaway, and he's giving mm, everyone tattoos. Mm. You see Falcor, and you were, something. you were transported to this world of imagination. You just picture the childlike empress going, Bastion, call my name. I so a quote uh, Breaking Bad right I now. I know. <laughs> Say my name. The pictures <laughs> come to your head. It's just how it affects you emotionally. And I feel like that's a cultural impact. It's not some fair that they had. It's how this movie resonated with people and how it helped them dealt with bullying, the loss of a loved one, and being a child. Have you seen my childhood? Mm-hmm. Okay, so other final final thoughts here I, on I, this? I just want to give a final quote, if yeah. I may. Oh, this, sure. is, this is actually like my whole final thing. Go for it. So this conversation is between Atreyu, the Empress, and Bastion, and I will break up the parts. So Atreus says, and this Bastion is right at the end of the Balthazar movie. Bastion Balthazar Bucks. That's, yes. that's our lead character's by the name, by the way. Bastion Balthazar Bucks. Or Sarah Williams. Super memorable. And Atreus says, Balthazar. the never-ending story? What's that? That was pretty good, right? <laughs> and then the Emperor says, just as he is sharing all your adventures, others are sharing his. They were with him when he hid from the boys in the bookstore. Bastion says, but that's impossible. And then I say while watching this movie, dude, I love this. And then the Empress says, they were with him when he took the book with the iron cover. Is a play-by-play of his moments of watching it? I think that's what's happening here. They were with him when he took the book with the iron cover in which he's reading his own story right now. 
And so like she's talking about the viewer watching a movie with Bastion as the as the protagonist. And so that's why the movie works for me is because it's so many layers that each person in the movie doesn't understand the layer above them. I just think this is a deep movie, severely underrated and tops the 80s fantasy genre, which there are probably only six real solid movies. But this is, well, clearly my favorite. So, yeah, I well, love and, it. And I and I can quote Labyrinth. Like I said, almost any scene from Labyrinth I can do like by heart. Like I love that scene down in the cave with the don't go on. Go back while you still can. This is not the way. That whole thing. Love it. But I want to quote David Bowie to end because that's what I've been doing most of the time anyway. He said when he was talking about taking the role, he said the script itself was terribly amusing without being vicious or spiteful or bloody. And it had a lot more heart in it than many other special effects movies. So I was pretty hooked from the beginning. And I was too. Labyrinth got me from the very beginning and I still love it today. I do love Neverending Story. I want I to say that. I feel like whenever we get to these things, we're, people are going to be like, oh, you bashed on Neverending Story. You hated it so much. And I'm like, no, I like Neverending Story. I just had to take the opposing role for this. Yes. That's yeah, okay. It's kind of okay. what we do. But yeah. we, but the, the, the truth comes from the fact that we do have a difference of opinion as to which one was better. Yes. Which is fine. And you can have that same opinion. And we're not going to declare a winner because that's not what versus Joel? shows are about. Uh, Joel? Actually, Joel. Actually, guys, I've reviewed. the record show, Kent and I just held hands. We, we shook hands. <laughs> we shook hands. We, we shook hands. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying that on purpose. No. Hey, Joel, let's try that again. Uh, no, not holding your hand. Guys, I've reviewed your information about the best 80s fantasy, and I've come to a conclusion about the winner. It's Lady Hawk. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. You didn't even go Beastmaster on that one. You went Lady Hawk. I'm so I, proud of I'd you right now. La- I'd go Lady Hawk. Lady, I love Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk's great. Well done, yeah, sir. Yeah. That's a fun one. Actually, I think Jake just won the show. <laughs> it's probably Princess but there's no, Bride. But there's reality. no human child brought into a fantasy world there. It's okay, all that's a question. Princess Bride. Yeah. Do we, is this the same realm? No, I mean, it is kind of, it follows the same format that mine does. Kind of, except for... It's less fantasy and more uh, action-adventure. It's, it's not like he's in the story. He's just still hearing the story. Like, Fred Savage never becomes part of the story. But, man, Princess Bride is fantastic. It is fantastic. Movie. That's another show. Yeah. It is. So there you go. All right. That's our show. Uh, and let us know online on our Facebook page. Like our Facebook page. Uh, follow us on Twitter. And let us know which one you prefer. Were you swayed by our arguments? I mean, because people are going to come to this with their biases. Yeah. But let us know if we swayed you or if you still stick to your winner and let us know which one you would vote for and also just or who won the argument. Yes. I like how we called it an argument instead of a debate because <laughs> that's kind of what it turned into. <laughs> Yelling match. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I love this movie. <laughs> but uh, if you want to find me and talk to me about Labyrinth or Never Ending Story, I'm happy to talk about both. You can find me at 76 Joel on Twitter or you can find me, find me at QuickWits. They perform every Saturday night at the Midville Performing Arts Center. For more details, go to qwcomedy.com or go to the QuickWits Facebook page. If you want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Kenny3DD. And if you want to read my movie reviews, it's ShowtimeShowdown.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob A. Rogers and Bacon Sale on Twitter at Bacon Sale. And also, uh, as we mentioned in the beginning, go check out the store. It's Christmas time. So uh, go buy Christmas yourself or somebody Christmas else times are coming. some cool Bacon Sale merch. tpublic.com slash Bacon Sale. Or just go to our Facebook page and click the Shop Now button. Until next time, never give up and good luck will find you. Okay, you guys ready? No. Uh, question. Make your decision. Question, uh, magical wizard creature. Yes. What's your name? Henry. Welcome to Bacon Sand. Oh.
Welcome to Bacon Sale, everyone. I am a wizard. Behold my wizardy ways. I send you on a quest to find. And it ends in a wrestling match. And it should, like every episode of Bacon Sale. You didn't have to wear a unitard during the recording, Jacob, though. It's for after. So comfortable. Yeah, this is why I love verses. <laughs> Joel was pushing my buttons. You're it so came cute. Out. Thank you. Child services should only be there when you're watching Labyrinth. It's for only forever. A spin-off, Joel, Joel, if you will. Joel. David Bowie's dead. I'm really sorry to tell you this. So is Falcor. <laughs> I was right, because I had the facts, and Kent didn't. That beautiful, haunting song in the ballroom scene. <laughs> You're killing me! The song about pedophilia? How Bro. much research did you do in a labyrinth? I didn't go into the dark web, Sick. Kent. I'd like to point out that Kent uh, is a little creepy. just want to point that out. <laughs> Have you seen Labyrinth? Someone's Boy, she was been dead. in my room again. I hate that. I hate it! I hate you! I hate you! I really like imagining people who haven't watched either of these, yeah. listening to you two spout this gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is this happening? I'm not going to tell you. But why is it happening? I'm not going to tell you. I'm dead. Joel's version of Neverending Story is brilliant. Yeah. Listen, old people can't walk briskly anymore. There's a lot of tension there. And he puts eggs in his drink. I, yeah, that's so gross, salmonella. Right? Oh. Good job, jo Joel Shallow Daughter. <laughs> She's pretty. <laughs> Do you know who else said that? David Bowie. Nothing tra-la-la! I love Jennifer Connelly. No, I love apparently you, you don't. But I don't love 15-year-old Jennifer Connelly, so... It's probably better you said that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Aw, that's not it. Where'd you get that rubbish? It doesn't even stop with I wish. No, actually, it's the part where he eats the entire apple. Yeah, the whole core. What was up with that? Fight against the sadness, Artex. You have to try. You have to care. Artex, you're my please. friend. I love you. If you're going to show, Kent and I just tell hands. I'm going to bring this back to the last, ever, or the last airbender real quick. I love you for that. <laughs> this has got to be a big incident, right? Like, they have got to build major robots to yeah. fight these luck dragons. Noodle. Friend. Smell bad.